0: We are in Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, an infusion of divine hope. And I'm telling you, we need an infusion of divine hope in our lives, particularly after this year, and we do need that. So if you would join me in reading the God's Word, if you're at home, please stand as we read the Word of God, starting in Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. Then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion with him, 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they were without fault before the throne of God. Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you for time that we can spend together as the body of Christ. Lord, we do need an infusion of hope. Uh, Lord, lift up our spirits. Encourage us today as we hear the word of God. Holy Spirit, please bring healing to each heart and each person that hears this message. Lord, we need you more than we need anything in this world. Fill us with you. (laughs) With you, we can make it through anything. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and we can make it through anything through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated wherever you are. Okay, uh, as you know, the theme of Revelation is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords, and we cannot wait. Amen. Uh, Last three chapters have been pretty difficult for us to go through. We have spent several weeks on the Antichrist. Chapters 11 through 13 were just loaded with Antichrist stuff, and it has been a little bit difficult. Uh, We have learned much. We learned about a counterfeit trinity. We learned that Satan will have his man of the hour Antichrist who will come to the forefront on planet Earth. We know that there'll be a one-world government, a one-world religious system, and a one-world economic system, and the world will just love this guy. He'll come to Come to uh, power slowly. He will be the hero of the hour, the man of the hour. And I will bet you, if you could project into time ahead, he'll be Time's man of the year. (laughs) Time magazine's man of the year. He will gain momentum, gain power. But in the end, he'll be possessed by the dragon. And in the end, he will be as despicably evil as the dragon is himself. What the Antichrist will do. He'll bring peace and prosperity to the earth. Remember, he comes in riding on a white horse. And he is, he'll be an economic guru. He'll bring the world prosperity. He'll, and I think he will do this. He'll probably promote programs to feed the hungry, uh, help the homeless, fix the problems of society. He will, he will be called by the earth dwellers. During the trumpet judgments, I think that he's going to rise to power And during the trumpet judgments, when God is pouring out all those trumpets and all that, all the uh, wrath of God on the earth, and they are suffering so much, they will turn to this one man for comfort, and he will then ascend to power and win their hearts. He'll be a superman, a humanitarian extraordinaire. But then something will happen. The trumpet judgments, remember, they kind of breach the, the middle of the tribulation. The last trumpet starts, the bold judgments in the last part of the tribulation, Something awful happens in the middle of the tribulation period. Antichrist will possess, be possessed by Satan. The false prophet will come on the scene in raging splendor and insist that everyone pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. To take the mark of the beast, the number of man which is 666. Six, six. After three chapters of Antichrist carnage, John is receiving a revelation that kind of leaps into the future, seeing the lamb on Mount Zion. He needs a relief. The 144,000 are pictured on Mount Zion. They have made it through their mission. They have accomplished what they were called to accomplish. And everyone needs an effusion of divine hope. We have gone through this teaching. We have experienced the the carnage, so to speak. And we need a vision of, of divine hope. In chapter 14, this is a victory picture of Jesus Messiah. He is on Mount Zion. And again, it's projected forward. And the 144,000 have completed their mission. Mission accomplished for them. And it's all because they are serving Jesus Messiah. They have been sealed. They have been protected by Jesus. And they have made it through. And they are pictured on Mount Zion with their Savior. And Remember this about Jesus. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. He is the bright and morning star. He is our Redeemer, and He is our friend. He actually calls us friends. And Jesus will come to rescue us. This is assured. This is a feta complete. (laughs) He will come for us. And I'll tell you, that's an infusion of hope that each one of us needs. There are always times when we need infusions of hope. Jesus will come to the rescue. There are times in life, folks, when you have to admit it, you've been blindsided. (laughs) A tsunami comes into your life, a hurricane comes into your life. Usually they're violent, usually they're unexpected, and they're always, always, always unwelcomed, unwelcomed. You get these when your child has a diagnosis. You have marriage relational issues that just come out of left field. You have work trauma, lost jobs. We have viewed riots in the streets all summer, and most recently a riot in Washington, D.C., and these things are disturbing to our spirits. Many people have lost hope. Oftentimes, people will sense a lost future. Folks, this is the reality of life in a fallen world. This is what sin has brought into the world. And into this chaos comes Jesus, and he brings an infusion of hope that no one else can bring. You can do all the positive thinking you want. You can do all the positive talk that you want. But what you really need is an infusion of Jesus into your life. Folks, it's good to know in the world to come, guess what professions are going to be eliminated? No doctors, (laughs) no lawyers, no police, no marriage counselors, no dentists, that, that whole thing. Hey, that's all going to be a thing of the past. When Jesus comes and brings peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding into your heart when you receive Jesus as your Savior, when he brings peace to planet earth, when you finally have peace with yourself and you know that everything is right, you know that you have had a divine infusion from the master himself. In the meantime, we must deal with a diseased world. We must deal with it. And it's good to know that you have a friend that knows exactly what it's like to be here. We have a friend in Jesus. He, he experiences. He knows exactly what we're going through. He is not far in distance. He is close to us. He is close to us. Jesus again calls us friends. Do you know that at the Last Supper, just it's hours before, before, the, before the cross, Judas has betrayed Jesus. He's, he's been dismissed. He's been possessed by, by Satan. And he is dismissed. And Jesus says, go do what you have to do. And after that, in John 15, 14, Jesus has the 11 that are with him, and he calls them friends. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. That's what he think he calls us today, friends. And Jesus gave his friends, and he gave his followers, he gave you a promise that you can hold on to right now. It's John 16, 33, a key to to survival in a diseased world now this is a play on words diseased discomfort anxiety tumult i'm going to use that word several times diseased world is this jesus said these things i have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world did you hear the promises Did you hear the promises? In me, you may have peace. It is available. It is available. You may have it. You have to walk in the peace. And how do you get peace with God? How do you get the peace that Jesus is talking about here? We've been through this many times. You have to dwell in Jesus. You have to spend time with Jesus. It doesn't come automatically. You have to spend time with him. He has to be your greatest priority. It takes time and effort, but guess what? It's oh so worth it. It's oh so worth it, and this is also another thing he promised us that most people won't tell you, but is a truth that's written in God's word several places. In this world, you will have tribulation. That's something we have to realize. While we're here, it is not going to be a picnic. The word is thalispus. You know that word. We've spent many, many, many times we've mentioned it. It means grievous afflictions, distressed. This world, you know, is not cupcake mountain. This is not Cupcake Mountain with a cherry on top. It is difficult here. And Jesus tells us the truth. But he also gives us this promise, and he tells us this be of good cheer. Doesn't matter what the crushings are, doesn't matter what comes into our lives. That cheer mean, is the word theros, it means courage, boldness, confidence. How does this look? Well, this is how it looks to me. But I'm not walking around with my lip on the ground, big old swollen lip. Mm, poor me, and that sort of thing. That's how it looks to me. You're walking around with an air of confidence, not pride, not that pride, but confidence, because Jesus Christ is in you. You have the Holy Spirit, rod of iron up your spine. You are able to stand and move forward, and knowing that God is for me, that God is with me, that God will take me through the whole thing. Remember, in in, in the Old Testament, we talk. We have this picture of God taking us through the fire taking us through the raging rivers, taking us by the hand and taking us through it. And then finally, knowing this, I can be of good cheer. I can be bold and I can be confident all because of my God. It is not me. <laughs> it is me dwelling in him. and It's a byproduct of that. When your world starts to shake, when your world starts to become violent, when it appears that all hope is gone, and we felt that, haven't we, this past year, We felt that most recently this week. Hold on to your lifeline. Simply hold on to Jesus and know that he's holding on to you. I love this little picture. It's coming up on the screen. The lifeline still holds. And I'm grasping on and we're grasping on to Jesus. Jesus had made a way to the Father. He is the lifeline between you and God. He is the lifeline to the peace your soul cries out for. Doesn't it just cry out for just the peace of God that passes understanding? When war wages within you, when turmoil surrounds you, Jesus is your lifeline. For he is the maker, the giver of life, the Christ, and the only light to follow. And you can overcome the turmoils of the day by holding on to Jesus. He is the lifeline. And folks, this is the truth, still holds, still holds. You know, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Thomas, Philip, Bartholomew, and so on. They held on to Jesus all the way to the end, and that is what we are to do: hold on to the lifeline. In chapter sixty, excuse me, in chapter fourteen, we're going to see six scenes of hope. We will get what we what we need. We will get a needed infusion of divine hope. Scene one, in verse one, the hundred and forty-four thousand in heaven, an infusion of divine hope. Then I looked and behold, a lamb, isn't that peaceful? A lamb, standing on Mount Zion, which is is emblematic of of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And with him, 144,000, these brave evangelists, Jewish evangelists, having his father's name written on their foreheads, 144,000. Again, fast forward into the future. We have seen the failure of the satanic trinity. Remember, Satan is the, is the false father. Antichrist is the, is the false son. And, and false prophet is emblematic of the Holy Spirit. The false, he's a false Holy Spirit. There's a scene switch here from earth to heaven, to a heavenly scene, where on earth the beast is reigning. On earth, there's carnage all over the place, but it is quite different with the heavenly scene. These are 144,000 evangelists are with the Lamb. They've come out of the great tribulation. Remember, 12,000 from each tribe, 12,000 from the 12 tribes, 144,000. These guys have experienced much. They, have, they were sealed at the beginning of the tribulation. They have made it through the entire tribulation period intact, no abdicators. No one falling away. They started with 144,000 and they finished with 144,000. It wasn't 130, 143,999. <laughs> they finished with the whole thing, 144,000. They have made it through the seal judgments. They made it through the trumpet judgment. They made it through the bowl judgments. They made it through all the carnage of Antichrist. And they are pictured on Mount Zion. They, have, they are seen as being preserved by God through the tribulation. They were kept safe from Satan. They were kept safe from all the judgments and the wrath of God. They were sealed by God in in Revelation 7.3. And the group is seen as intact. And none of them failed their mission. All of them complete. Don't you want that said about you? You completed your mission. No abdication. They were sealed by God for protection. Now, important thought is this. All is not as it appears on earth. We have been trembling. We have been tribulating. We've had some discomfort in these past few days. Things can look pretty bleak. One might be prone to despair. We are not seeing clearly. Remember what Paul said. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. When things seem out of control here, look up. Remember, God is on his throne. It is not out of control. Things are not as they appear. We must grasp this concept. God is at work. Even when we cannot see him at work, we must realize he is in control. We may feel dis eased. We may feel uneasy. We may feel like our world is crumbling, but oh no, God is on his throne. He is in control. Even when we don't understand what in the world is going on, we keep our eyes riveted on our God. The 144,000 are sealed by God. But guess what? Guess what? You are also sealed. What does sealing mean to me? God has placed his name on them and he's placed his name on you. Ephesians chapter 1 13 and 14 says this: we are sealed by the Holy Spirit at the second the moment we said yes to Jesus offer of salvation we were sealed for protection and ownership in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of your inheritance a guarantee that you will make it home a seal is a mark of privacy, genuineness, security. It is a guarantee. You are sealed. You're guaranteed of making it home safely and living in a diseased world, an uncomfortable world, an anxiety-producing world. This is must-know information. You are God's property. You belong to him. And those sealed, guess what? You will never renounce your faith. You will never renounce your faith in Messiah. I mean, we might have down times. We might have doubting times, but we will never say, no, we just cast you away, Jesus. If you're genuinely born again in the spirit, you will not do that. Now, look, it, this sounds warm and fuzzy. This sounds like, we, like a time when we need a little break. And so I'm going to give you a little warm and fuzzy picture of this little cat here that we have. And it's just so comfortable and so nice. And he doesn't have a care in the world and this is how we should go through life, folks. I'm not talking about apathetic, but, but realizing that, hey, we can, we can live in this world of dis-ease with the ease of the Savior. He can make us warm and fuzzy inside through the most tumultuous things that can happen in this world. Now, what do these heroes need that are now on Mount Zion? They need the presence of God, the comfort of God. After a time of earthly pilgrimage, where they have experienced so much, they need to be with the Lamb. Now we are living in a diseased world, like I've said multiple times. The words of the psalmist may encourage you. Psalm one eighteen verses five through nine say the following: it "says the following I called on the Lord in my distress, in my dis-ease. The Lord answered me and set me in a." broad place, a safe place, a solid place. The Lord is on my side. We need to know this. This is essential to know while you're here. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear because I know this truth. The Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? And we need to know that because we may be experiencing man pressure in the future as the true church of Jesus Christ. We must have in mind, what can man do to me? And that's nothing, because I'm in the hands of the Savior. If they kill me, I'm home. I'm home with him. The Lord is for me. Among those who help me, we need to know this, the Lord is for me. And you can even say that out loud. If you were here right now today, I would have you saying, say it right out loud, the Lord is for me. The Lord is for me. Therefore, I will see my desire. I will see my triumph on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in man, to put your confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Trust God. Trust God, not what you see in this world. We are seeing smoke and mirrors, folks. Smoke and mirrors. What we are seeing is not the whole story. Now, what must we see while we're here in this diseased state? With great relief, we must see the sovereignty of God in all of its glory, especially when life is not going well. Remember the words of Job. When he questioned God's sovereignty and justice after losing everything, he lost his home, he lost his family, he lost his health, he lost his dignity, he had boils all over his body. and At the peak of his discomfort, his wife comes up to him in Job 2.9 and says, Job, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Now, remember, Job's wife experienced everything Job did. And she just didn't have that quite the depth. I mean, she, she needed someone to come up alongside of her. There wasn't anybody. They were all gone. At the lowest point in Job's life, Job spoke with God. And by the end of the conversation, Job realized who God is and who he is. We pick up the narrative in Job 42, verses 1 through 6. As you're turning there, actually turn there, you can do that at home. You can do that at home. You want to remember that God has been speaking from from chapter 38 through 41. And he has been speaking to Job and telling him who he is in comparison to who Job is. Just a couple examples. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job? Tell me if you can. When you start wondering what I'm doing, answer just a few questions. When the morning stars sang together in heaven, Job, and all the sons of God shouted, where were you when this was happening? Or where were you when you you shut the the sea and its doors. When you set its boundaries, have you commanded the morning to rise? Job? I do. Job is realizing who God is. And then Job responds to God in this way in chapter 42, verses one through six. And Job answered the Lord and said, he knows who God is. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld withheld from you. You know what? That's hope. That's divine hope. He had an infusion of divine hope. He had a time with the living God to realize God is in control, even when it seems out of control, even when it's as bad as it was for Job. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without without knowledge? Who's asking these things without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please. Let me speak you said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. I have heard you, God. But now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself. I regret on anything that I thought that was on towards, towards you, God. And I repent in dust and ashes. Job knew who God was. And Job knew who he was. And we must come to that point where we realize God is in control no matter how the thing looks. He is in control. We are to trust him. The we are going to sing a new song, verses 2 and 3. That's another infusion of hope. Verse 2 and 3, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. It's kind of just a melodious scene. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. John is the one speaking. He said, I heard a voice from heaven. And the question number one is, who is this voice? Now, we know from other scriptures, we use scripture to interpret scripture, who this voice is. In Revelation 1.15, his voice is as the sound of many waters. Folks, this voice is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And question number two is, where is John when he hears this? And probably on earth. He hears it from heaven. He's probably on earth. He has a vision. I heard the voice from heaven. The voice is loud. The voice is powerful. But yet the voice is comforting. Oh, you're hearing the voice of the master. And these have finished their race. The song was special. For the 144,000. This was their song. Their song. Mission accomplished. They are called the redeemed. And you also are the redeemed. What does redeem mean? It means to buy back. To pay the purchase price. The idea is this. Christ paid the price that was required for us. He removed the sinner's responsibility to pay it himself. We cannot pay it. It's impossible for us to pay it. Only Jesus could pay the debt. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Jesus took all of the wrath of God that I deserved on the cross. Jesus took it. Look at Isaiah 53.10 says this. It pleased the Lord. It pleased Yahweh. It pleased Jehovah. It pleased the father. It pleased him to crush his son. He he put all of his wrath on Jesus, all of his grief on Jesus. And why did he do this? Because he loves us. He sacrificed his son for us so that we can have a relationship with him. God did this for us. The moment that I believed in Jesus as my savior, I was justified. And if you've gone here any period of time, you know what justified means. Most people don't have a clue what it means. But it means the imputed righteousness of Christ is given to me. The instant that I believed. Father looks at me like he looks at his son, holy and pure, even though I'm still in a sin state. Even though I still do things that are wrong. Because of the blood of Christ, I am looked at as pure and clean and holy. What a deal. Christ's righteousness has been credited to me. And I look in Father's eyes like his son. What an amazing thing. It's incredible. It's the best deal ever. When you said, yes, let's make a deal. That's the best deal ever. You are viewed just like Jesus in the eyes of Father, pure and clean and holy. These redeemed know this. They are on Mount Zion with their Savior, and they break out in a new song, a special song. But you know what? The church also has a special song in Revelation 5, 9. They sang a new song. So we're all joining in heaven with the new song, thanking Jesus for our redemption. All the redeemed will sing praises forever. And I think this is going to be a joyous moment. We ever want to be in a big old giant choir? That's going to be the biggest old giant choir you've ever been in. can imagine. That's something to look forward to. And I'll tell you what, that sounds like an infusion of divine hope to me. In verse 4 and 5, these folks are set apart unto God. They're sanctified. Again, that's an infusion of hope. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Now this gives you a clue. This next sentence gives you a clue when these people were saved. These were redeemed from among men being first fruits to God and to the lamb. These were the first saved in the tribulation. They were the ones that were saved and started to evangelize the world. And in their mouth was no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Not defiled with women, redeemed from among men, firstfruits. These are virgins. Now think about this. This is a horrific time, a horrific time that they were ministering in. Antichrist will be on his rampage, killing every single believer he can, millions Billions will be killed and the persecution of the tribulation saints will be off the charts. This will not be conducive to them having a marriage or a family or anything like that. Their whole mission is going to be single-minded serving the lamb. These men are wholly set apart unto God. No job, no other relationships, no hobbies, only serving Jesus. Their mission focus. They will not waver one inch regardless of the carnage. Now, let me say this. These are true disciples of Christ. And I want to also emphasize this. There's a big difference in someone being saved and someone being a disciple. How so? How so? Listen to this. All disciples are saved. But not all saved are disciples. Did you catch that? (laughs) Did you catch that? I hope you did. Salvation is a is, is a miracle of a moment. A miracle of a moment. You said yes to Jesus, you were saved, but you were a baby. You were a baby Christian. Sanctification is the second phase. Discipleship is the second phase of, 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 of salvation, where you're set apart, growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior. Andy Woods, in his work in Revelation, has this chart, which he got from gracelife.org resources, and it compares justification or salvation with discipleship. Now look at when you're saved, it's a free gift. You did nothing for it. You didn't earn it. You just said yes to Jesus, but discipleship will cost you time, talent, treasure. It'll cost you a lot. Salvation is received through faith. We enter into discipleship through commitment and obedience to the spirit's enablement. It's not by works that we're saved, but involve works with discipleship. It's instant. It's a lifelong process as discipleship. It's justification and sanctification are very different. I'm born again of the spirit. Now I'm growing in the grace and the knowledge of my savior being coming more like Christ. Again, Jesus paid the price. The believer here pays the price as they cooperate with the Holy spirit and they sacrifice their life for the master. Trusting in Jesus as savior is how you come into the family of God But being a follower of Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords is what discipleship is all about. Believing in the gospels is important to get saved, but obeying the commands of Jesus shows that you love him, that you are his disciple. There's one condition, that is to believe, but there's multiple conditions, and that's obey all things that I have taught you, and lo, I am with you always until the end of the the earth. Salvation is something that all Christians have. But discipleship, being conformed to the likeness of Christ, there's only a few. There's some Christians involved in that. When you're saved, you do get eternal life. But don't underestimate this. As a disciple, you'll receive rewards and authority in Jesus' kingdom. This, folks, is a big deal. So many people get stuck on, well, I just want to make it. I just want to make it. Oh, no. You'll be so thankful that you worked for the master For the rest of your eternity. Rewards and authority. Big difference between being a disciple and being saved. Your entire Christian life is is designed for you to become a disciple of Christ. Not simply a believer and a baby. Non-productive. Immature. You want to be productive for the master. Maturing. Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. The likeness of his his son. Every single believer is encouraged to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Now listen, no one is saved to be a baby forever. And you know how ugly it is to see some old dude looking like a baby? It's not nice, is it? It's awful to see an older Christian this way. But this is where most American Christians are. Babies are easily identified. Watch this. They're the center of attention. It's all about me. Babies never serve, but always want to be served. Are easily offended. Babies are easily offended. I'm going to take my toy, and I'm going to go home and cry to mom. That's what happens with babies. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Now, I want to give you a picture here of a baby church. Now, this is not our church, okay? I want to make sure that you know this. But this is a pastor's worst nightmare. When you have a baby church like this, you can see a cross-section of people here. Here's the loner. I'm coming in. I'm going to hear what you got to say. And as soon as the bell rings, exit stage left, I'm out of here. Then you have, I can't believe he said that. Did he really say that? Then you have the studious one. I'm going to get the pastor this week. I'm going to get him. And then there's always this dude right here, asleep, sawing logs. And then you have people that are just playing around, joking around. You have the queen of the church. And then you have the high needs person, the high needs baby. Oh, give me the attention. This is emblematic of the church in America. But let me qualify this for just a second. Pastors have a huge responsibility in this, in this light. Think about this. Often these types of congregations are pastor caused. How so? Because you fed them pablum and baby food all along. You gave them the little bananas and they all want the banana baby food and they all want the little dessert baby food and you never gave them the nutrition, the meat and potatoes to help them to grow. What did it say in 2 Timothy 2.4? When Timothy was being admonished, preach the word, Timothy. Preach it to them. Caruso, herald truth to them, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. For the time will come, Timothy, when men will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will gather a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You know, when you have a, a baby church, go back to the other one, Maritza. When you have a baby church, there are people that aren't going to want sound doctrine and they will actually seek out places where they are the center of attention, where they never have one iota of intention to serve the master by serving in his body. And a lot of that lays again on the pastor. Now, what you want to see is the next picture. This is the type of church you want to see. You want to see Bibles out now today because we have modern technology. You can have your iPhone or iPad. But the point is, is that you have people that are Bereans searching the scripture to make sure what the pastor is saying is truth. That is very important. You cannot be a Berean if you are simply having a verse slashed across the screen. Don't know if it's in context. Have the guy give a talk that has nothing to do with the context of the scripture, you must be able to search that out. You have a responsibility as a brand to do that. Now, let's move on. Thinking about this. The 144,000 were first saved in the tribulation. Again, they're the first ones, the first fruits, with much more to come as the promise. In Revelation 7-9, we know exactly how effective they were. There was a multitude saved out of every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. They were very effective. God's spirit is very much at work in the tribulation period. Many were obedient and dedicated themselves to the, to Christ. And now because of these 144,000, they will be before the lamb in the in their mouth. There is no deceit. That's what marks these people. Nothing pseudo, nothing false. And again, these guys were not pandering to the, to the population. They weren't telling them what they wanted to hear they were telling him what they needed to hear the instant the instant they believed they were justified all because of Jesus and they were instantly holy and without blame in ephesians 1:4 they were instantly without spot or wrinkle ephesians 5:27 again they were easily they were instantly holy and blameless and above reproach in colossians 1:22 and in the benediction benedicto it means to Benny is it as well and and addiction means to speak, to speak well of In Jude 24, we read this now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, faultless. That's how God's going to look at you because of Jesus before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to him was able to do that. Jesus Messiah is our redeemer. He is the one that paid the price. He is our reconciler. He brought us in the right relationship with, Jesus, with, with the Father. He is our mediator. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. He is our propitiation. That's a big word, isn't it? That's a big word. It means this, an acceptable sacrifice, appeasing the wrath of God. Remember, all those outside of Jesus Christ, all of those who reject Jesus Christ, we know in, in uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 10 or so, are under the wrath of God. They're enemies of God. They're pictured that way. Jesus is our justifier, but guess what? He will be our glorifier. And it's already stated that we are already in the eyes of God glorified in a state of perfection because of what Jesus said. We're waiting that. We're waiting that. That'll come in the future when, we, when our body and souls are brought together. But that is pictured as already a feta complete. Now, that's a wow moment, folks. What an inheritance. What a savior. What a future that we have. It's amazing. It's astounding. We all need an infusion of divine hope, and that's a big infusion. In closing, I'm going to give you a little story here. The patient is very ill, exclaimed the intensive care doctor. Now, this is going on all over the place today with this COVID. What the patient needs is a ventilator. What the patient needs is an infusion of vasopressors. Fluids, nutrition. They may need even need myoclonal antibodies. That's the thing that Trump got that killed the virus. What they need is a miracle. Without a miracle, there is no hope. It is a common refrain in our world today. What does the family need? What does the patient need at this time? What do you need at this time? You need an infusion of hope. Hope is the word elpis. And it's desire of some good with the expectation of obtaining it. This is exactly what Jesus Messiah gives each of us every day. A little shot of hope. You know when you get it? When you spend time with him. When you spend time with the master. He gives you a little infusion of hope. A little infusion of hope. This is what Jesus does. Exactly what he does each day to us. The hope that something is about to change. Don't you want that? The hope that this... This too shall end. The hope of a shift of circumstances. The hope that one day everything will be right. Certainly it won't be right here, but eventually it'll be right in our existence, right in our lives. Our God is a hope giver. And think about this. No world religion, none, zero, offers offers hope to its followers. All of them are works-based. None of people, none of them know if their works will merit any type of reward. They never know if they're going to make it to the next level. None. Only Christianity is hope-based. The hope is not in ourselves, but in what we, not in what we do, but in what Christ did. Our greatest hope is when Jesus rides into town on the white horse in Revelation 19. And he comes and he rescues planet Earth. That'll be a shock and awe day for Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the earth dwellers who are fighting, overtly fighting against Jesus. Jesus will be the judge and he will make war. And he will defeat his enemies and everything will be made right. Just think about this. All disease, all death, all disappointments, every, every modicum of discouragement Gone. No more fear. No more worry. No more anxiety. I mean, that's an infusion of hope that we all need. And I, I would say, say Amen. Yes, say Amen. Yeah, nothing. We need that. Never, ever known again. Those emotions will never be felt again. What we are discussing, folks, is real. This is not fantasy. This is not about positive thinking. No. This is about the truth of the word of the living God. There will be a glorious day when everything will be made right. No more sin, disease, death, destruction, disappointment gone. No longer will our vocabulary contain these words. And we already had a little sampling of it before. You will never hear 911. Call 911 quick. Call the police, an ambulance, a fire department, doctor, nurse, lawyer, lawsuits, abuse, murder, these, funeral cemetery, and on it goes. You could add to the list. Those words will never be uttered again forever. Forever. Folks, our God is a God of hope. Allow me to close with this verse of hope spoken by Paul in Romans 15, 13. Paul says this. May the God of hope fill you, palero, cram fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him that you may overflow with hope or superabound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is not tiny hope. This is not little itsy-bitsy hope, oh, I hope this happens. This is a confidence that this will occur. Overflowing hope. And did you know this? Please hear this. If you're sleeping, if you're drifting, looking at the birds out the window at your house, come back in for just a second. Did you know hope joy, peace, superbounding hope through the dis-ease of this world, of this life, is available to you right now. Right now. Our future on earth, folks, is unknown. We don't know what the future holds. It's unknown to all of us. And this can create anxiety. There's a principle. Fear of the unknown creates anxiety in human beings. Your anxiety cure is simple. Trust God. Trust God. Trust God. Corey Ten Boom put it this way in this picture. Watch this. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Now, Corey Ten Boom had been through a lot. She had many times she did not know what the future held for her. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. God knows the beginning from the end. Hold on to him. He is your lifeline. Don't give up and don't give in. Now think about this. Think about hope. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Watch this. Jesus changes anxiety. Jesus changes depression. Jesus changes hopelessness. Jesus changes doubt. Jesus changes fear. Aren't you glad of that? He changes fear. Jesus changes lives. This should, this should be lives. And Jesus changes defeat. Jesus changes hate. And folks, Jesus changes most of all death. You will never, ever die. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will Never die. And then Jesus, folks, changes everything. Hold on to Jesus. He is our lifeline. Think about this. There was a song years ago. What a day it will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Think about this. Know this. Your promotion is right around the corner. Your promotion. You're getting ready to be promoted. We're all going to be promoted. When you go to heaven, when you see a saint of God die, they have been promoted. No more of earth's dis-ease. Never again. Jesus, folks, changes everything. This week... Take a break from the dis-ease of our world. Take a break from the dis-ease of your life. Walk in the hope that you have. Remember Jesus said, In this world, you will have tribulation. What did he say then? But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In this tribulating world, you of all people, You, the people of God, have divine hope. Now that's an infusion of divine hope that we all need. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word of God. Lord, we have a need today of an infusion of divine hope. And you have provided that for us. Now may we walk in what you have provided May we not be mesmerized by the media. May we not be mesmerized with what's happening in our world around us. But may we have our eyes riveted on the Savior, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its pain. And he sits down at the right hand of God the Father. He's making intercession for us. He is our Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our Lord, he is our master, and he is our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Thank you for the divine hope that we can have right now, and we all need an infusion of it, Jesus. And we want to walk in what you've given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.